The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Hey, we'll have a seat. Hope you're having a good St. Patty's Day, whether you're Irish or not. You know, it's funny we have these holidays and with holidays come traditions that you don't really, really know where they came from, right? Like where did the whole pinching thing come from? I have no idea. We thought, hey, we thought we would just let Noah know, uh, you know, a little little quirks into some of the national holidays that we have. So we thought, hey, Noah, St. Patrick's Day is coming up. Make sure you got to wear green because if you know you don't wear green, you're going to get pinched. And we're thinking he's going to be thinking that's great and hilarious and all this kind of stuff. He looks at us with this concerned look on his face, and he's like, "Why would anyone do that?" <laughs> we're like, "Oh no, he's devastated by St. Patrick's Day." It's so it's like it's okay, it's okay. So I woke up this morning and he told him to got dressed. He's like head to toe green. He's got camo pants. He's everything on. There's no way that he will ever get pinched. But I thought it was hilarious. But we, we're here tonight. I'm glad you're here. As we, we're finishing up this whole series through the Gospel of John that we've called Overflowing. This is the, the last night of this. Uh, we're going to wrap up the series as we look to how Jesus has walked into these situations. He's, he's entered with both truth and grace in a way that, that expands horizons in a way that challenges some of our thought and our, and our vision. It opens things up, hopefully in new ways for us, around what a life of faith would actually look like and mean. Well, uh, to let you know what we're going to do over the next couple weeks is, uh, I've, I've asked Dave Lutz to come in, and he's going to talk specifically around the whole area of transitions. Whether it's a transition, a job transition, which I know some of us are going through, or just a transition of life, there are these moments in which we constantly sort of feel like we're changing. And the moorings that we know, we kind of wonder what's going on, what can we push on, how do we actually survive, let alone thrive in the midst of this, and where the heck is God in all this? Well, that's what Dave is going to look at over the next couple of weeks as we think about transitions and how we can do that. I know certainly, really we never stop with changes and transitions. They happen throughout our whole life. So how can we take them head on? That's what Dave is going to be looking at. And then we're going to, during Holy Week, we're going to have an opportunity to go out as a community and serve um, across the city. And, and during that week, I want to encourage you to, to take advantage of some of the great worshiping opportunities that we have from, from Monday, Thursday to Good Friday to Easter Sunday that happen uh, in, in this community, this wider community here at UPC. And if you have no idea what Monday, Thursday is, then good, show up and find out. Um, it'll be a good time. Well, we are, we're going to end this whole series in a, in a fairly um, unspectacular way. We're, we're at this point, we're, we're coming to the very last chapter of the Gospel of John, and it's, it's almost like it's a tag-on. It's almost like it's an epilogue. It, it absolutely belongs with the Gospel, but it's kind of like everything is finished, and then there's like a, John kind of goes, okay, there's one more thing, one more important thing you need to know, and it centers around this conversation that Jesus has with Peter. Sitting around a fire. It's this conversation that really speaks into a, a sense of, of disillusionment. And though it's unspectacular, it's absolutely vital in the life of Peter. Not only that, it's vital actually for what Jesus wants to do in and through the church, and, and especially what he wants to do in and through Peter, that, that there is something that needs to happen around this campfire. See, Peter had started out, and he had... He'd started out, he was called as this fisherman. We didn't necessarily look at this, but especially if you look in, in Luke, the very beginning of Luke, chapter 5, you see that there's this call that Peter gets. Jesus says, and he's a rabbi, come and follow me. 
And, and Peter, we, we don't quite get it because Peter is going, why in the world, what's going on? Because this doesn't happen to guys like me. Uh, see, I dropped out. I'm not good enough. I, I didn't make the A-list. See, all the guys that become sort of rabbis in training, they're, they're the top of the top of the top. They're the cream of the crop. And, and I, I'm not a part of that. I wasn't smart enough. And yet, here's a rabbi saying, I want you to come and follow me. And he's talking about something called the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And for Jew in that day to talk about the kingdom of God coming, there is no greater purpose that you could pour out your life for than to be a part of that. There is nothing better that you could just absolutely give everything to. And so Peter, with the opportunity, and he hears Jesus teach about this, and suddenly Jesus says, I want you to be a part. I want you to be a part of what's going on. He says, absolutely, and he jumps on board. Well, as we go throughout the Gospels, we see that, that with all the enthusiasm that Peter might have had, that, that things were a little rocky, they were a little rough, that there were some pretty huge failures that Peter has to hit as he, as he, as he comes to grip with where this kingdom is going and, and what it's going to look like and, and his role in it. And he comes to a place of disillusionment. It's a place I think that we probably all feel because it's that place in which... There's a difference between the vision that we had and the reality that, we're fa- that we face. Now, the difference between that, that vision and the reality that we face, that, that indicates really the level of pain that we feel, the level of discouragement that we feel, the disillusionment that we feel. Now, here's the thing. Disillusionment isn't always a bad thing. In fact, it, sometimes it can be a good thing, but it, it pretty much always is a painful thing, though. But it's something we, we hit... We hit this all the time, and we're going through this as a nation right now. As we realize that we have been living beyond our means, essentially we've been living an illusion, and it's time for us to pay, and it's going to hurt us as a nation. As we have all have, a, have had a part to play in this. I mean, there's a couple bad guys we could blame, and there's blame certainly to go around. And yet we've all played this part as we have lived beyond our means, and now we have to learn what does it mean to, to, to pay for that. We move, we, we hit disillusionment as we go into college, and college maybe isn't everything that we, we sense, and we start to sort of hit, hit some of the road bumps in our life that, that maybe we're, we're not as okay as mom and dad always said we were. We hit disillusionment as we come out, and we're, we're trained, and we're ready to go, we're ready to, to live into this career, and yet what we find is that we have a dead-end job in which we're not doing anything meaningful, anything particularly purposeful. Right? You, you hit disillusionment, you hit midlife crisis, right? Where guys tend to go out and buy sports cars and try to relive some sort of past. Disillusionment. So when you, you realize, when you go into a marriage, a marriage cu- a couple hits that, it, and the illusion of what they thought they were entering into, the absolute joy that this is going to be the most perfect thing ever, and then they realize they cannot stand their spouse. Disillusionment. Disillusionment when you think about how great it would be to have kids and then you're, you're up at three in the morning and you're changing just an absolute bomb. <laughs> and you wonder, what in the heck am I doing? I haven't even seen my wife for months at a time. And disillusionment, it's disillusionment between the faith that we grew up with that doesn't always seem to be hitting or jiving with the reality that we meet on the ground. See, moments of disillusionment, they come to us always. In some ways, they're like transitions. We're going to hit them throughout our life as, as vision meets reality. 
Yeah, disillusionment can lead us into this place of cynicism, of anger. Of and You've been around that. You've been there, I'm sure, because I know that I've been there. We, you get angry. You get cynical. You kind of sit back, well, that's just the way it is, and you start griping and moaning. It's like when the, you start becoming a big whiner, right? We run into it with our friends sometimes when it comes to this thing of like, you know, I could, I should have gotten this, I could have gotten this, but I've been cheated. And, and yet you kind of sit back in this place of what didn't happen instead of living forward somehow into, into what is. They can also bring, though, it, we don't have to sit in cynicism. We don't have to sit in sort of this disillusioned place where we just kind of go, well, there's nothing really great. I've seen the world. It isn't, it isn't that great. It's robbed me. Or it could actually lead us to a place of clarity. It could help us to see what is really true. It could lead us into a place of a greater reality than we ever thought possible. It could help us to understand that our job is not absolutely everything and that perhaps there are different ways that we can invest ourselves that round us out as people. That perhaps instead of going and buying a sports car and trying to pretend like you're 30 years younger, shipwrecking your marriage because you're running after some illusion of a, of a spouse, that, that perhaps what we can realize is that God wants to use our skills in ways that are unbelievable, that perhaps he wants to remind us that we need to go home and spend time with our kids, invest in community. Perhaps there is an illusion of marriage that he wants to break down because there is something way, way better that he wants you to experience. I know, I'm sure you guys have heard as many stories as we hear, and I'm I'm happy to hear these on on the news. We we hear the stories of uh, uh, another couple thousand or tens of thousands of people laid off. That We hear those, but we also hear stories of people having to rethink how they spend their time, how they spend their energy. They can't just go out and buy pizza anymore. Heard this story last week, and yet there's a sense in which this woman was like, you know, you know, we're actually staying home and we're making pizza together. And it's the best thing our family has ever done. There's a sense of clarity that opens up to something that perhaps is, is even better than before. There's a sense, I, when I was dating Shannon, I, I had this the total disillusionment. Dating Shannon and began to think about, you know, we got serious, I could see the direction that this whole thing was going, and I thought, is, is she the one? I, I don't know. And then I began to think about, well, well maybe, maybe, there's that, there, maybe there's another one out there. Do I really want to settle for this? You know, maybe there's a, there's a cuter girl out there, you know, who's smarter, who's funnier, who, you know, can talk theology, who can, can play volleyball, who can, you know, jump off a cliff on ski. You know, I just had this elusive woman out there, right? It, it, it's the grand illusion of the woman that could be, or, or the man that, that could be. And, and suddenly I, I came to this realization of like, what am I talking about? I'm talking about a superhuman. I'm not talking about a real person. I'm missing before the illusion that is causing me to think maybe I should I should end this and look for something else. That I'm running after a pipe dream that, that's not real. And if it's even real, let's be honest. I'm not a player. And why would they? Why in the world would that person want to date me? Like I date a lot, which I don't. It's this illusion of of who I am, and yet we realize that there is this amazing person. There's this moment of clarity where there's this amazing person that is sitting right in front of me that actually is great. <laughs> you bet, Brock. Anytime, bro. <laughs> this guy, by the way, is the quickest wit in the West. This guy was pitching crap at, excuse me, this guy was uh, totally giving airline, uh, airline employees uh, grief as we're done going down to Haiti. Anyways, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> 
He's asking security, can I see your badge? Can I see your badge? Like, what? Anyways. Here, here's, where it, here's where it strikes us most, these disillusions, is when we realize that the problem isn't so much in the structure of the system or, or what's out there, but perhaps the real problem, the real disillusionment comes with what's going on in here. And that's what's going on with Peter, that the disillusionment is, is really more about himself and about his own lack, about, it, uh, about the ends that he doesn't want to see in his own life. But this interaction around this fire that we're going to look at, it, it hinges around, in some ways it's this, it's this hinge point between a Peter in the Gospels and a Peter in Acts, who are the same person and yet somehow radically different. There's a transformation that happens right here. Transformation that, that on one side of the cross, that, that especially at, at, this, at, at this juncture, at this sort of reinstatement, totally changes Peter into the man that launches the church, that God uses to launch his church. It's a transformation that we are called into, one in which truth and grace comes in together and calls us into a place in which we start to experience a life that, that overflows. If we're going to look at it, we're in John chapter 21. If you want to open up in your Bibles, um, I just want to pray again before we, we get in here. Lord, I, I thank you for this, this story that we're about to get in. Lord, I thank you that, that, that John included it because I know we need to hear it. So Lord by that same spirit that inspired John to write this down, to, to give an account of what Jesus did and said, Lord, will you speak by that spirit into our hearts this evening? I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, John chapter 21, and, and, and here's where we're at. Jesus has been crucified. He, he's raised from the dead. He has uh, showed himself um, to his disciples. Um, and then there's, we read that Jesus is going to show himself a, a third time. That be, John chapter 21 begins with this. Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And here's what had happened is, is that the disciples really kind of were the sense of like, what do we do now? I don't, I don't know. Yes, Jesus raised from the dead. That's awesome. But I still don't really know really what to do. And certainly Peter, who is a leader, will always be a leader, says, I'm just going to go fishing. I don't know what we're supposed to do. At least let's do something that we know. At least let's, we'll put some food on the plate. So they go out. And, and to the credit of the disciples, his friends, they go, dude, we know you're down, but we're just going to go with you. I mean, isn't there nothing better than that sometimes? It's just to know that there's someone who, who's not going to try to, to argue with you. It's just going to say, hey, dude, we're with you. So they go out, and Peter, man, he's had, he's had a rough go, and yet he fishes through the night in the very thing that he knows how to do better than anybody. He is a fisherman. He knows how to fish, yet he spends a, a long, cold night out there, and he doesn't catch a single thing. I mean, it's like the knocks keep coming for this guy. And then suddenly there's this guy that appears on the shore who says, have you caught anything? No. You can imagine these guys grumpy, Right. There's nothing worse than for a fisherman than to hear somebody popping off on the side of the bank. But he says, all right, here, I'll throw to the other side. And suddenly the net is so full that they, they can could, they could barely haul it in. And suddenly John, the Apostle John, looks and he goes, Peter, man, that's the Lord. That's who's talking to us. Suddenly they're back at the very beginning of how this all started when Jesus first called them. And Peter he puts on his, his outer garment and, and he jumps in the water and he swims in. And, and, and suddenly he is sitting face to face with Jesus. And Jesus is sitting there. And then there's breakfast sort of set out. There's, there's a fish. There's fish and there's bread and there's a fire going. And, and suddenly there's this moment in which they have breakfast with Jesus in the light of a new day. The, the, the night has passed. And that's where we, 
we pick up in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and there's probably this sense that they're probably kind of wondering, we're not really sure what's going on there. They're probably having a, a, a meal just in silence. And we all know sometimes we need that. Sometimes we just need to, we just need to sit there. So they have this meal together. And then Jesus turns to Simon Peter and says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Now there's a sense, kind of the, the best sources of tradition tell us that, that Peter actually would be crucified. That there would be a sense that he was, in some way he was crucified, so in some way similar to how Jesus uh, was was killed. Well, what what is really going on here is there's really one question that is asked three times. One question in which truth and grace are brought together and they, they work to heal Peter and then present a new vision for him, that open up some new horizons for him to move forward. And the conversation we have here really is a culmination of the conversations that have been going on for a long time, for three years, between Jesus and Peter in which Peter has had all his illusions smashed down. So what I want to do is I just want us to look, I want us to kind of take three of these. Jesus asked the question three times, and I want us to look at three illusions that Peter, that Peter actually had smashed, in which Peter moved from this new name, Peter, because his name is Simon, and you see that he's called Simon here. Because Jesus knows, man, the last thing that this guy feels like is a rock, and that's what Peter means. If anything, he just feels like shift, sifting sand. I don't feel strong at all. So he kind of he rolls back and says, let's, let's kind of start again. Let's, let's get a new call on your life under new circumstances. Well, the first thing that we realize, he comes to him, he says, Simon, do you love me? And he hits right on this, this whole illusion that Peter has of success. Essentially, the question is, do you love me more than the vision of success that you have for your life? More than the script that has been handed to you by society for what it means to live a good life, a life that is successful, a life that has purpose. Now we get this and we look back, especially in Matthew 16. We, Jesus asked this question. He has this, there, he's kind of in the middle of his ministry and there's this moment where you know, people are still kind of decide, trying to decide on him. He turns to his disciples and he says, hey, what are people saying about me? I mean, what are they saying about me? And you get all kinds of answers. Well, some of them think you're John, raised from the dead. Some of them think you're a prophet. You know, Elijah, maybe Jeremiah. You know, there's a couple, there's lots of different ideas out there. And Jesus then says, okay, well, what about you? What do you, who do you say I am? And, and it's quiet for a while. And then Peter jumps in and he says, well, I think you're the Christ. You're, you're, you're the Messiah. You're the hopeful one. You're the son of the living God. And this is a game show. You know, the dinger would be going off. Bing, 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 bing. Big winner. 
right? He just won the big prize of the fair. He answers correctly. And he gets all kinds of kudos. And Jesus says, yes, yes. And it is, above, it is on this rock. It is on this that I'm going to build my church. It is on this declaration that Jesus is Lord. That is what the church is built on and nothing more. This declaration that Jesus is the Son of God. That He is the Christ, the Messiah. And Peter has this sense of, yes, I got it. And he gets on, if Jesus is in there, if he was buddy Jesus, he'd be giving a big thumbs up. Good job. Nice job. Good job, Mike. You got it right. And yet he moves, he begins to move on and he says, Okay, here's how this is going to happen, okay? Here's how I'm going to demonstrate that, that I am the Messiah. I am the hopeful leader. I'm going to get captured by those in authority. It's going to get really ugly. I'm going to die. I'm going to get raised on the third day. And then you kind of sense Peter has this indication which he kind of goes, he's feeling probably a little full of himself. He's like, I'm on a roll here. So he's like, hey, JC, can I call you JC? Come over here. Okay, uh, I hate to be presumptuous, but here's the deal. You're talking trash, Right? Success doesn't look like this. I'll just, here's how the Messiah thing works. You come in, you kick some serious butt on the Romans, you boot them out of here, you get all those jokers in authority, you, you clear them out, you clear the temple out, maybe you throw us into a couple high-profile positions. It's up to you. Okay? We're going to humiliate some people, we're going to raise some things up, we're going to put this thing right, we're going to kick some serious butt. And what, what does Jesus say? He, he interrupts them in a sense, and he says, Hey, Peter, get behind me, Satan. And he cuts them off. It's like, hey, I know I just gave you the big thumbs up. I know you just think you got it, but I don't want to hear a thing more out of you. You have no idea. You might have gotten the right answer, but that doesn't mean you have any idea of how I'm working. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, you can't imagine him slapping down one of his disciples more than that. I mean, he just puts them down. Get behind me. You have no idea about the things of God. You're talking out of the things of men. I don't think you can get a harsher word. I mean, you can imagine Peter just being devastated. Well, we find ourselves right along with Peter, don't we? I mean, I, I, there's a sense in which if we are become followers of Jesus, we, we've said yes. We've said, hey, we're, we're declaring you as God. Yes. We've said the, the right answer. Yes, Jesus, I'm in. Let's do this thing. I want to live purposely. I'm with you. Let's Let's go for it. We might even see some things. We might see some marvelous things. We get jacked up. We're going. And then suddenly it's like, well, wait a second. What, you mean it's going to be difficult? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, wait a second. This might include suffering. It, it might make me uncomfortable. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait a second. I, I don't, this is great. I'd like to change the world with you. I'd like to turn things upside down. But I actually don't want anything to change from my life. Is that Okay. Certainly don't pull me into a place where my cozy illusions of the life that I think that I should live get, get challenged. Don't talk to me about not being entitled to some stuff. Don't say that maybe I'm not always going to be on the right side of the argument. Here's the deal. We want to change the world, but I want to get all the stuff that I think I should have too. Okay, I, I should have a husband and wife before we get going. I, I should have kids, two dogs, a minivan, a big house in the suburbs, a fat retirement account, a plasma TV, an Xbox. I want to be able to shop and do anything I want. In fact, I just want to be able to do anything I want. And we can do your stuff too. Is that cool? What do you think? And yet suddenly we hit this moment in which we realize that we might be it for this adventure of a lifetime, but we don't want it to cha- anything to change in our own life. 
I mean, it's like God pulls up on a motorcycle and he says, hop on, this is going to be a wild ride, this is going to be awesome. And you're like, wait a second, you start rebuking Jesus and going, wait a second, where's the moving van? I got some stuff we got to go. And, and, and by the way, where's the seats? Because we got all the other people that got to come along with me too. And Jesus is like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Do you not get that perhaps on this ride, I'm going to introduce you to the person that is going to be perfect for you? You have all these preconditions on me? What? Don't, don't you get that, that on this ride, I might, I might lead you into the vocation that you never even thought of before. I might lead you into a place in which you're going to use your skills and gifts, maybe in a, even a volunteer way, in a way that you never even imagined that is going to have a huge impact on a particular community of people, maybe even on a state, maybe even on a na- national scale. Did you not think about that? If you just jump on with me? Do you not realize that as we go along, there are gifts that I want to be able to give you? If you just come with me, I mean, what are you talking about? Simon, do you love me? Do you love me more than your vision of success? Well, the second illusion we run into is that of having a a measurement, a standard of measurement, which Peter uses. It leads him totally astray. We read, do you love me more than these? And there's a question. This is in verse 15. Do you love me more than these? What, what are the these that Jesus is talking about? Okay, it could be the fish. That might be it. I mean, they're fishermen. You could say, hey, you know. But if, if in, within the context of the greater story, we get this sense that probably what he's talking about is, is the guys around him. He's pointing to the others that are with him. Do you love me more than these jokers here? I mean, are you, are you serious? Are, are you better than these guys? Do you love me more than these? Well, we get this. We start to understand that Peter had been measuring himself against other people, even subtly. Again, if you want to look in Matthew 26, verses 31 and following, Jesus pre- predicts. He's saying, look, it's going to get bad. It's going to get ugly. Everyone's going to get scattered. And here's Peter. He's going, hey, look, if it, even if everyone else falls away, I won't. Okay, these guys, kind of, kind of weenies, let's be honest. I'm going to be with you, though, to the very end. I take this more seriously than anyone else. We get this, too, in, in John chapter 13, when Jesus is in the upper room, and, and he sees this teaching moment, this teaching opportunity, in which he can, he can wash the feet of his disciples, totally unheard of. You never have a teacher that will wash the, the disciples or wash the feet of his followers. And yet Jesus wants to demonstrate something of what this kingdom is about, about the leader, what the leadership is about. So he goes down, and, and here's Peter. He's going, dude, you can't wash my feet. Absolutely not. I don't need it. I don't like what's going on here. I don't understand what you're doing as a, as a leader. They might be dirty. They might need that, but I don't need it. I'm good. Thank you. Right? Jesus says, hey, look, Peter... I don't get to wash your feet. You're no part of me. So then Peter's, he's on the other side, right? Either I don't need it. And suddenly he's like, okay, well, wash all of me. Here we go. You know, you, I imagine he's starting to take off his clothes. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Just the feet, dude. It's cool. Right? Peter, it's like I either, I want to be totally washed so I'm washed more than the others. Or I don't want to get washed. I don't want my, my feet washed at all. There, there's this sense in which he's got this standard in which he's measuring against other people. And and the thing is, he could probably get away with it because he is a bold dude. He is bolder than any of the other disciples. And yet for us, we will never experience God's overflowing love in our lives until we can get out of the place of measuring ourselves against the standard of others. 
We will never experience God's overflowing love in our lives as long as we are measuring ourselves according to the standards of others. First of all, it's, a, it's oppressive. It's oppressive to us. We're constantly trying to, to keep enough rules to sort of make us a little bit better than anyone else. And if we, if we mess up on one of the rules, then we feel like, man, we're devastated that God will totally turn his back on us. We're always trying to keep ahead of somebody. And, and then we turn around and we end up being judgmental. Because, man, here's the deal. I'm in with God because of what I do. And I'm better than you. You're not that good. Man, you better clean up your act if you want, to, if you want any part of Jesus. I mean, people are totally excluded from that. This sense of uh, judgmentalism in, in which people feel like they somehow have to clean up their act even though they feel totally incapable of doing it. And in fact, might not even be sure why they would want to do it. It doesn't make sense until you begin to understand who Jesus is. I mean, it sets up an arbitrary standard too, doesn't it? Which we have the sense in which, well, you know, man, if I'm just a, just a relatively good person... You know, I'm not as bad as those around us. You know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. We end up living this, this life that is, which God wants to call us into this transforming relationship that, that sends us higher. And yet, here we are, we're setting the bar low. And, and it can go pretty low depending on who we're hanging out with. So instead of running forward into something, into really growing into the best of who we are, we're like, well, I'm better than those guys. Well, that guy's a liar, he's a cheat, he's a murderer. You're like, I'm better than him. Right? It's this arbitrary standard. It sets the bar low when God is calling us to so much more. Do you love me? See, we end up avoiding the real question because he wants to point out to everyone else how everyone else is doing when really God is saying, I want to know what you think of me. And I want you to be able to receive from me. Are you capable of receiving from me? first before you ever do anything, before you even think that you earn, you need to be able to receive from me and you're not going to understand anything of what I'm about until you can simply receive something you don't even deserve. Do you love me? Will you let me wash your feet? Can you operate out of a place of grace where you are just like anyone else in a room? Somebody who is has failed, somebody who hasn't measured up, somebody who needs to receive, somebody who can come alongside another person and proclaim truth perhaps, but in a way in which you say, here's the deal, I need it just as much as you and I want to point you to something good. Not I want to tell you how to clean up your act. We all fail. And that leads us to this last one, this, this illusion we have Probably the most devastating illusion, and it's that of our independence. We read a third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? We read that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. And why? Because when he asks him a third time, he is going to bring up the biggest failure of Peter's life. That at the, the moment of the greatest need, at the moment in which Peter needed to stand behind his leader, behind his friend, behind his mentor, he, he, he runs. He tries to lash out with a sword, and yet he realizes that, man, this isn't doing anything. In fact, Jesus heals the guy he tries to, to kill, because all he does is hit his ear. I mean, he's out of control. Right? Then he runs. Then when it comes to being questioned, he doesn't only stand with him to the end. He gets freaked out by a little girl. Right? Can you imagine how devastating that is? This sense of, of total failure. This moment of greatest importance, Peter finds himself... Faithless, powerless, and incapable. And so 
Luke tells us that after the, the third betrayal, after the third time in which he's questioned, he says, I don't know Jesus at all. I don't have anything to do with him. He wept bitterly. And we know why, right? We know why. Because it's that glittering image that Peter has of himself and what this was going to be about has been totally and completely shattered. The image of success has been smashed. His image of comparison to others has been smashed. The image of his power and independence smashed. He sat there. And even though Christ had risen, he's just going back to what he knows because he doesn't know anything else to do. We probably rightly wonder if Peter's going to fade out of the scene. Go, yeah, there's something good that's going on, but it doesn't really have anything to do with me. It It doesn't apply. Disillusionment is always painful, but it can be a good thing if we move beyond the cynicism that can set in into into the sense of drifting. That's the that's the danger for Peter. God's God's life doesn't really have anything to do with him and his situations, so he kind of sinks back into a place where his illusions work, and maybe you know he kind of continues to go to church and sit in the back and. But his life ultimately and his faith becomes anemic and lifeless. Well, this is where we have this wonderful conversation of Jesus setting a fire for him, that moment in which you might even remember him sitting around the fire totally denying Christ. And in this moment around this fire, I want to to restore you. In this place where you're feeling disconnected and tired and it's just like a long night, I'm I'm waiting for you at dawn on on the shore. And I'm not going to demand anything of you, Peter. I'm not going to make you show that you're man enough to follow me. I'm, going to, I'm just going to give you a meal. I'm going to take you into some places, some difficult places. I'm going to ask you some rough questions. I'm going to take you back to failures, but I'm only going to do that because I want you to, to know that not only are you forgiven, not only is it okay, but I want you to know that you have a place in my kingdom. You have a place in the purpose of what I want to do in and through the world. I want you to feed my sheep. I think what, what Jesus is trying to do with Peter is to come back and say, I want you to, okay, I want you to, all this stuff has sort of faded away. I want you to focus in right on me. Because this is where the power is. This, this is the whole secret of what I'm about. What, I, what I've been trying to communicate about my relationship with the Heavenly Father. I want you to focus in on me because when you focus in on me, then we're going to be able to go somewhere. On the 28th, I, we went up skiing. We took Noah up. Up to Stevens, and it was fun. He had a he had a day, he had some lessons. We thought we'd give it a try. It's four years old, probably a dumb decision because it means it's going to be a lot of money in the future. Um, but we went up there. We had a great day, and we got out and we spent some time with him after his lesson, and, and and it was amazing. And he did really well. We actually took him up a. We got off the kitty run. We took him up onto the, one of the main runs. And quickly discovered, I had no idea how to teach, but quickly discovered that it was so easy for Noah either just to look downhill and then he just kind of would go and go, oh, I don't know, and run out of control. Or he'd look around, you know, and then he'd fall over. And so it was pretty quick. It was like, okay, I'm going to stand, I'm going to across the hill and we're going to get him to, to ski across the hill. But I want you, no, I need, what I need you to do is I need you to look at me. Look at me. So I'd go and I'd go across the hill and I'd go, okay, no, here's the deal. Look at me, okay? Look at me. And sometimes it even sounded harsh. I think Shannon got a little nervous there for a minute. So I'm like, Noah, look at me, look at me, look at me. But as he looked at me, suddenly he started traversing across these runs. He was actually starting to, to, to turn, and he was actually starting to turn. And so we made it down the green run. And by the time we got down on a real run, he was like, hey, let's do it again. It sounds awesome. 
It's like, that's amazing. He's four years old and he's going down a run and he barely fell down. And it all came because of this idea, this focus. If I can focus on the thing that matters, not on the people around me, not on how they're doing, not on what they're doing, not on my equipment, but if I can focus in the right place, then I can begin to ski and to experience this thing that is amazing. Today's St. Patrick's Day, right? Well, it's really probably more about drinking green beer and all this kind of stuff, right? Nowadays, it's about you. We celebrate, you know, the nation of, uh, of Ireland or something. Anyway, St. Patrick, though, is this guy, this amazing guy that some of you know. I mean, Be Thou My Vision kind of comes out of this tradition which uh, from Patrick. Or some of you maybe have heard uh, St. Patrick's breastplate, this great prayer that he wrote in which he, he essentially said, my vision has to 100% be on Christ. And so I will walk into anything. I will walk into a nation that wants nothing to do with Christ. I will walk into places in which I was a slave at one point. And God's going to do amazing things through me. And so parts, parts of this great prayer, he talks about Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ to my right, Christ to my left, Christ above me, Christ beneath me, Christ in me, Christ in the, the minds of my enemies. Christ, I mean, he just goes on and on and on and on and on because his vision was so singular. I will walk into a place ne- that I never thought was possible if my vision is on Christ, not on myself, not on what I can do, not on what others have done, but on what Jesus wants to do in and through me. And because of that, there's a radical transformation in the nation of Ireland. Well, there's a radical transformation in Peter as well. That the Peter that we find in Acts is a, is a man who has let go of the illusions of his own independence. And he becomes a very different person than the, than the one we see in the Gospels. He is a man who's whose dependence is radically grounded in Christ. Because of that, he proclaims this sermon that brings thousands of people into faith. He performs miracles, and more than running away from a little girl that asks him awkward questions, he stands before the authorities with such power, with such confidence that they don't know what to do with this guy who should just be an oaf. Well, who's this Galilean, this guy, this uneducated guy? There is Peter standing and saying, I will not back down. I will not back down. I'm going to proclaim Christ, if, even if you don't like it. Well, as we've moved through this, hopefully there's a sense that you've, you've picked up on in this common theme as Jesus continues to call us into relationship with him, into a, a life that is overflowing. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything goes our way, but there is something bigger that he wants to call us into. And he, he's asking us simply, really, do you, do you love me? Do you love me more than the illusions that call us in all sorts of different directions, the ways that you want to stand, set up a standard against other people, the visions of success? Do you love me? And it's not, it's just at this moment for you to simply say yes. Jesus wants to be able to call us into this city to be able to proclaim him in ways that we never thought possible into a purpose that we never thought possible that goes beyond simply just the shallow illusions that are all around us. He's calling us into something big. Every moment, every generation, the church has to ask the same question that Peter had to answer. Am I going to sink back into disillusionment because of myself or am I going to put my hope fully on Christ to reach, the, na- the, to reach the, the nation, the neighborhood, the city that is right around me. God wants to do that in and through you and me. He wants to open us up, those of us who have been following Christ, into something wholly new that we never thought possible. 
For some of you, you might be thinking, I, I don't know about Jesus, but I know that what I look, what I see when I look around is, is not enough. And for you, he's simply saying, I'm not going to ask you a bunch of rules. I just want to know, do you love me? Are you willing to, to trust me? Will you serve? Will you, will you feed? Will you feed my sheep? Will you, will you join me in the purpose I have for you? You don't have to be perfect. You might feel like you're a screw-up, but that doesn't matter. I want you if you'll trust in me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for um, this gospel and, and for how you have proclaimed um, something of a new life in and through it. Lord, I pray that you call us as we even head into Easter, Lord, into a life that has something of the overflowing. Lord, not an easy life, not a life... Um, that just scratches the surface, but a life that calls us into, into the depths in which you want to you speak in, you want to save us, you want to redeem us, you want to you free us, you want to heal us, and then, Lord, you also want to call us. Lord, may we have the courage and the strength by your grace to say yes to your question of do you love me because you have radically proclaimed to us that you love us. So Lord, whether that is for the first time tonight or whether that is in a new way in our journey with you as we have bumped up against a wall, Lord, I pray that that might happen. Lord, we open up ourselves to you and ask for more. Pray this in your name. Amen.